Thanks, friends, for listening to Nonprofit Lowdown. If you like Nonprofit Lowdown, you will love my free weekly newsletter with resources, fundraising inspiration, and cute dog photos. Did I mention the cute dog photos? Sign up at RiaWong.com. That's R-H-E-A-W-O-N-G.com. Ria Wong. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Ria Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. I am so excited because today we're going to talk about donations of cryptocurrency. My guest is Pat Duffy, the co-founder of The Giving Block, and he's going to elucidate all of the questions that we have about donations of crypto. So welcome, Pat. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So before we jump into it, can you tell us a little bit about The Giving Block and about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. We do two things, I guess, primarily. We operate in the space we call crypto philanthropy. But one, we're the main company that sets up nonprofits to take crypto and help some fundraise. A little bit of payment processor turned fundraising firm turned running the main awareness days, et cetera. And then on the donor side, we build integrations into their products and platforms from exchanges and wallets to tax software solutions to make it really easy to give to charities. We run fundraisers and campaigns to bring them together, crypto donor base, run the crypto giving pledge the folks on that side of the industry. And then Crypto Giving Tuesday and bag season are the kickoff and then end of year campaign for crypto philanthropy. So we run the corporate philanthropy programs for the companies and then get the individual donors involved. So in short, we try to run points on crypto giving from the donor side and then run point on that from the nonprofit side as well. Okay, we're going to dig into Giving Tuesday. It's imminent, it is upon us. But before we mm-hmm. get into the details of Giving Tuesday, let's talk about crypto. So right now, as we're speaking, it's end of October, Bitcoin is experiencing some record highs, along with other coins that folks may not also be as familiar with. I think most people have heard of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Who is actually holding Bitcoin? And what are the incentives that they have for giving some of their gains? Yeah, it's changing very quickly, which is interesting. So there's kind of two main demographics. There's who has the most money in crypto, and then what does the average user look like? Because it is such a young user base. So like the average user is in their late 20s. Anyone from the age of late teens to, to early 30s is like dramatically more likely to have crypto. In certain pockets of those demos, it's already at a, a 50-50 tipping point where some pockets are more likely to invest in crypto than stocks. And that's starting to tip over in younger generations. So there's a little over 200 million crypto users from the last time they calculated it. A lot of them are those young folks. In terms of capital invested in crypto, like that's changing pretty quickly because of banks and institutional adoption. So for instance, like 95% of hedge funds are either invested in or investing into crypto over the next few years. From recent surveys, endowments, people holding it on their balance sheets, companies like Tesla, of course, and then things like micro strategies where every time crypto goes up a little bit, they make $100 million or whatever it might be because they're holding so much. I think they have over 100,000 Bitcoins. So in short, there's corporations and high net worth individuals who are moving percentages of their net worth into crypto, which is a lot of that capital and the stabilizing force. And then there's this gigantic pool of younger individuals who are more so actively trading it, which leads to, I guess, the second part, why are they donating it? Same thing as stock donations, except it's much more actively traded and the prices are more volatile. So it's like the lab made tax incentivized way to give to charities. Most people who have stocks, it's easier to give stocks in a house or a car. So they're more common than that sort of property asset giving. 
but most people don't actively trade stocks. They invest in a 401k, an IRA, whatever it might be. So because they don't trade it, they don't accumulate capital gains tax burdens. They don't trigger any taxable events. Crypto is very actively traded. So of that 200 million demographic, there are tens of millions of people in the US this year, for instance, who are most tax incentivized to give crypto specifically. Okay, let's break that down a little bit. What's interesting about what you're saying is if the active user base are younger folks, so let's say millennials, and we know that millennials are also, they tend to be much more social justice focused. I'm wondering from a perspective strategy, how do we target those newly minted crypto millionaires who also have a very strong social justice bent? Yeah, yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of crypto millionaires. So they cover the like a super broad spectrum. In terms of targeting them, I would say just because most nonprofits aren't like social justice nonprofits, it's not like the majority of crypto users give to that specific cause area. We cover like the whole spectrum just from serving the industry more broadly. But social justice groups do perform much better for any nonprofit. It's a pretty similar strategy. It's the same way you would want to engage younger donors in general, the only difference being in this case, the donor demographic is the money itself. So people who are into crypto, if you know people are super into it, they're usually very vocal about it, debatably annoying about how much they like cryptocurrency. So the only big shift is you would engage this younger donor demographic like you normally would. You'd go on Twitter, you'd post, you get them to engage with your content, fall in love with your mission. The only difference is when you're asking them for crypto, it's not just the donation method. It's literally a part of the content. So like your goal when it comes to fundraising crypto should be a crypto specific goal. Your crypto fundraising program should have like a name, an identity, even if it's just you taking crypto. And then as you hit certain thresholds, you should be like, we raised this much Bitcoin, for instance, specifically. And then this many thousand dollars in Bitcoin means this much impact. So separating that out, giving it its own vibe and identity and pitching to that audience specifically with whatever percentage of your online content that part like disproportionately benefits nonprofits for sure versus kind of just blending it in. That is a really great idea and an interesting perspective because it, it makes me start to think there might be ways to engage your current owners or your current ambassadors. If they happen to be in crypto, maybe you deputize them to help spearhead a crypto giving day or, or something like that. To your point, having dabbled a little bit in crypto myself, I know people are super passionate about it and literally will not talk about anything else mm-hmm. other than crypto. So let's talk about the anonymous nature of crypto, because I think that is really interesting. So without getting too technical, obviously it's on the blockchain, it's meant to be anonymous. And so I guess I'm wondering, how do we think about the ongoing cultivation and stewardship? Because I think a big strategy with giving donations is like, we get the donation, then we like create a relationship with the donor and we get them to continue to give more. Is the anonymous nature of crypto preventing us from following that general donor journey? It's actually a really common misconception about crypto, the anonymous nature of it. It permits anonymity because of how traceable it is, I guess is the best way of putting it. So like the reason there are so many ways to transact crypto without say filling out all of your personal information is with regular transactions, like the money doesn't actually exist. Like if you're using US dollars, like almost all of that is fake money. It's something called fractional reserves. If everyone went to their bank today and tried to pull the money out, it doesn't actually exist. It's like a made up number on a spreadsheet. You don't have to actually have as much money as you say someone has in that account. So as a result, when they're sending money places, like when you transfer from one bank to another, they're not like filling up Brink's truck and like moving money somewhere. So they have to pull in all that information to assign a new record and put that information in there. What crypto does is, I mean, for Bitcoin, for instance, literally no transaction record has ever been altered. So 
If you find any unit of Bitcoin, you can follow it all the way back to its origins fully, every wallet it's ever touched, which allows for you to transact with individuals online and know that you're getting money from them without all of the institutional framework of a bank that needs to fill out all that additional info to make the transfer happen. However, the transactions are super traceable. So when it comes to like criminal activity or anonymous in the sense of like not wanting your books to be found out, crypto is the most traceable form of money. So DA, FBI, all of those organizations have like gone on the record and they're like, they love when they catch criminals with cryptocurrency because they can see every transaction they've ever conducted out of a wallet. So anonymous happens in crypto giving at about the same rate as Facebook fundraisers and everything else. Like any platform that allows a donor to give to a charity without leaving their details, it's usually like 70% or so will take that option. They just don't want follow-up or the stewardship. So it's giving them an opt-out. We as a platform provide that, but the exchange itself where the transactions go through, they use NASDAQ market surveillance. They block payments from sanctioned countries, blacklisted addresses, blacklisted cryptocurrency units, et cetera. And they report to the same regulatory agencies as any other financial institution. So like in short, crypto allows anonymity if you want it to like send someone money online for like a gift card or something like that. Like people do that sort of thing. But when it comes to like institutional level transactions and moving money into and out of dollars, it's the most traceable and secure form of money. All right. That is super helpful. And again, I know a lot of these questions may be very elementary, so apologize in advance, but let's talk about the risk and reward of crypto. Like we know that crypto has huge volatility. I mean, we've seen ups and downs. We're we're seeing an upswing, but we can be bearish in like a second. So what are some of the risks and rewards that people should be thinking about when they start to think about accepting crypto? Nonprofits are lucky in that they don't have to deal with any of the risk. I shouldn't say any because, of course, like a a technical system could break down the exchange or something. Like there could be issues with the, the tech. But in terms of price volatility, nonprofits don't have to deal with any of it. They just reap the benefits of it from the donor side. So in short, like the majority of our nonprofits, vast majority that we set up, like they use our auto conversion feature. So all of that price volatility drives the tax incentive to give to a charity. But as soon as the crypto hits the charity account, it's sold for US dollars instantaneously. If that volatility didn't exist in the market, there would be no incentive to give to you. So it's much more beneficial as a nonprofit to have volatility in a marketplace that drives additional revenue. It's another like kind of misconception, which makes sense from the outside looking in, but once you're in it, for instance, like if Bitcoin, let's say it, it dumped 90% today and it went all the way down and it just stayed there between now and December 15th. And then it just ran right up to the same price like that we were starting at today. And it didn't go any higher. Anyone who buys in that V has a gigantic tax incentive to give to a charity. And the charity who automatically converts it has to do with none of that volatility. Now, if you're holding it in like an endowment or you know, you're building up this crypto, you're receiving it and not converting it, or you're diversifying like your treasury management into crypto, then yes, you of course deal with volatility and it needs to generally speaking be a more long-term lens. But there's no reason a charity needs to engage with that risk, they can just disproportionately reap this insanely tax incentivized benefit of that additional volatility. That's an interesting point, though, because I do think converting into fiat obviously de-risks some of the volatility, but there are potentially gains to be made. And so is there ever a case where you might recommend to a nonprofit to hold some of the crypto? No, just because it's the same, like, 
if I knew when it was going to go up, I'd be on an island somewhere, right? Like I'm not good at trading crypto, which is funny. Like we do get nonprofits who, when they sign up for us, they start paying attention and you just discover you're like, okay, crypto is the best appreciating asset class of the last 10 years. And then you like dial that in. You're like, what about the last five years? Because it went up a lot at the beginning. It's like, no, it's the best appreciating asset class of the last five years. And you just start going through it and you see how much like Bitcoin is about to eclipse silver, for instance, in market cap, like silver, the precious metal silver. There's about to be more money in just that one cryptocurrency than all the money in silver. So in terms of it being a very reasonable investment to like diversify a standard portfolio, like, of course, like it would, it's at this point, if you are investing at all, it's very silly to not be looking at it. But you could also choose that it's overvalued. You can say we're in a bubble. You can say it's an amazing technology. It's doing all this stuff, but it's overvalued. Now is not a good time to buy. And if that were the case, then you shouldn't diversify treasury into it. However, yeah, I would definitely recommend that if you do any treasury management, if you're like running the endowments or something at a school and you haven't looked at the best appreciating asset class for over a decade, then that would be absurd. You have to look at it, even if you end up saying no. I wouldn't recommend anyone to like buy it for sure, but you you as individuals or organizations, you definitely have to look at it by now, for sure. Let's talk about the different kinds of crypto. So most folks who don't really know the space have a lot of, obviously, have heard of Bitcoin, maybe they've heard of Ethereum, but then there's a whole stable of lots of altcoins. Dogecoin has been making some waves. I'm curious from a fundraising perspective, should we be focused on just raising Bitcoin or should we be thinking about these other cryptos? That is a great question. It's really interesting and compelling too, because they're all so, like the value propositions are very different. What's cool about altcoins for the time being is the energy aspect. It's also true about Bitcoin in general. So for instance, like all of the nonprofits we work with, some choose to do a press release when they start taking crypto. There's only one charity. We work with close to 700 charities directly as clients and like a few thousand through, through integrations. We've only had one charity ever do a crypto press release, and it wasn't their best performing press release of the year. So that's versus literally anything else that any nonprofit we've ever worked with has announced. And that's just saying that you're taking it, not even like a crazy outcome, whatever else. It, it's the most like viral quality type content in terms of like driving energy into your social or your announcements or your brand. It just gets more eyeballs than anything else because it's still on that cusp of like widely adopted and still kind of nascent and new. As a result of that, there's these underpinning smaller cryptocurrencies where there's not nearly as much capital involved in them. But those communities, in the same way that Bitcoin content goes wild, because like you said, people love Bitcoin, really love Bitcoin, and they're just waiting for it to be considered mainstream and accepted. Those altcoins have like an even greater amount of pent up energy where it's just like they're not being taken seriously. They're dying for like nonprofits to say they're taking it. They want to pump that out. They want their mom to see that, to know that their career is actually legitimate. Those smaller altcoins often drive even more interest and attention than the Bitcoin one, just because the Bitcoin posts are starting to get more normalized. So like American Cancer Society tweeted about the fact they're taking Doge. We sent out like a template to our nonprofits when we added it into our system, just because it's so unbelievably meme worthy. It's I think top five in the history of the organization, top five performing social posts ever. So then like the leadership at ACS is like, we, we got to do more crypto stuff. And it's like, don't become a meme. You don't want to steer too hard into it. But like just seeing things like that, the answer is yes. Tapping into those smaller altcoins from an energy and like brand growth perspective, getting young users, people to pay attention to you and support your group. Tons of energy there in addition to smaller pools of capital. And then for Bitcoin, Ethereum, like there's so much money in it that's untapped. That plus a more minor marketing boost is still pretty great. 
have so many questions. I'm so glad you said that. From a nonprofit's perspective, there's no downside to it because to your point, if it's converted, there's no fear of volatility and it potentially exposes you to this much younger donor base, which everybody is thinking about how do we capture sort of younger folks in our giving yeah, the biggest risk is distraction, which we say to everyone, which we shouldn't say, because like this is what we do. But we actually, we end up telling nonprofits to pay less attention to crypto more than we're trying to get them really into it. Like once nonprofits start doing it with us, they get excited. The average gift size on our platform is about $11,000. And this exciting new thing, very young donors, the social activity is super exciting and fun. The donations are big, but some people go too far on. That's usually, especially the case for small nonprofits. Like looking at crypto is like a lottery ticket and then spending so much time on it that it's detracting from your fundamentals. Right? Is your website mobile optimized? Do you have a full-time social person who's just like building your general brand outside of just crypto specifically in the meme nature of it? Like do you have a good individual giving person? Like are you focused on stewardship? Is your CRM organized and effective? Do you have an end of year plan? You got to balance crypto with everything else. So like the biggest risk I would say is it takes your eye off the ball on the other stuff you're working out just because it is so fun. It'd be like if you end up with a hobby and you start doing it too much, you're like training for a marathon, it takes away from work. That's the biggest risk with crypto is literally just kind of absorbing you too much. It doesn't happen a whole lot where I think it even becomes a distraction. And when it does, we usually tap them on the shoulder and we're like, you don't have like a game plan for end of year, but you're trying to build a crypto fundraiser in the month of December. It's like, you should probably have some more fundamentals in place before you go so all in on crypto. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that. And I think like anything else, it's about having a balanced approach because I do think there's a tendency to be like, we could just do this crypto thing and millions of dollars will automatically just fall from the sky, which can happen. I have seen happen, but it's probably not something you want to bank on for a long-term strategy. Yeah, exactly right. That's it. Pat, I'm going to ask you about NFTs. All right. For the complete newbie, what is an NFT? You touched on like blockchain earlier, which is like a buzzword that people get like really too far absorbed into sometimes. But what happened with cryptocurrency, for instance, when you were like, why do people invest in it? Cryptocurrency like Bitcoin does a few things. One, scarcity, because it's code that's written. It's not like a federal reserve. You can't print more of it. However it's written, however it's launched, you know there will be a set supply and that builds scarcity, which makes it a really good store of value, knowing there won't be more of something. The second piece is knowing you can't change transaction records or lay claim to having the original version of a Bitcoin. You can't make fake units of Bitcoin. You can't say Bitcoin is in two places at once. You can't say that you didn't spend it after you spent it. There's no pool transactions. You can't take it out of an account. It's the most dependable financial system in terms of over a decade of completely dependable financial records, which is really cool. Just knowing that the record keeping is 100% solid and then very traceable for each individual unit. You can follow the entirety of the history back to its origin. NFTs are doing that same thing, but with a piece of art. And that's the basic idea in the same way that if you have a unit of Bitcoin, no one else on the planet can lay claim to having that exact unit and it's fully traceable and audible financial record. You just have that same hash that's connected to a blockchain assigned to a piece of art. And now you can quite literally own the original of a piece of art that only exists digitally in a way where back in the day, it was just like JPEGs or MP3s, like if you were torrenting files, like no one really knows what was the original of something. It's, it's called a double spend problem. I think I'm repeating over the same ground, but ensure you can have a piece of digital art that no one else can lay claim to, which allows for the exact same kind of gallery, fine art culture that's existed all through human history, but a dependable version of it digitally. And uh, now today, I think it's like over $100 million or so a day in NFT trading volume. It might be even greater than that. 
So I'm going to ask some like very basic questions here. So I think all of us have been kind of, especially during the pandemic, we're all just sitting around, we're seeing these crazy numbers with people's like, what was it, $65 million of a digital piece. I'm wondering if you've seen any examples of nonprofits that have used NFTs as fundraising mechanisms. 100%. This is another one where it's just like it gets misinterpreted, even from the donor and the platform side. Also, people in the NFT space want to send NFTs directly to charities and charities want to receive NFTs directly. But the issue with that is like, you're probably familiar with like the history of it, but like for a long time, there were horrific loopholes in the tax system where like billionaires could just get a buddy to appraise a piece of art that was picked up at a garage sale, say it's worth a billion dollars. Now you don't owe taxes for like forever because you donate that to a charity and it just offsets everything. Appraising art is really difficult and kind of arbitrary. And NFTs are like at the intersection of art and like digital currencies. So as a result, when it comes to like the nonprofits accounting, the donors accounting, the donor getting a tax incentive that's calculable and easily reconcilable with the IRS and the nonprofit being able to extract that equivalent value and reconcile, it's the most difficult version of it if you're trying to do it for a tax reason. So in short, we just recommend that as you're trading NFTs and you're accumulating taxable events, as long as it makes sense from a mass standpoint, which it usually does, just donate your cryptocurrencies specifically that are resulting from it. If you're an NFT platform, you can donate a percentage of your fees from the platform rather than giving the art specifically. Ultimately, it ends up being crypto donations being driven from that space, but it's the fastest growing crypto donor demographic is NFT trader, artist, platform, studio, et cetera. If you do want to send NFTs directly to a nonprofit or a nonprofit wants to like have an NFT auction and use that as a fundraiser, there's all these really fun kind of interesting ways to tap into it. They do take more time and energy and can cause like some accounting questions. So like it's depending on the net returns that like you should still explore it, I guess. But I would just tell nonprofits in general, like the first thing you should do is just fundraise crypto specifically from people in the NFT community versus trying to accept the pieces of art just because you don't want to create headaches for yourselves and your donors. Have you ever heard of a nonprofit minting their own NFTs? We're getting asked about it a lot more. I'll also clarify, like I'm not a lawyer, like I'm not formally trained. We just have lawyers and people we talk to in it. I don't know if this is the case, but this is like my fear, I guess, and what people raise as concerns, especially as regulations around it changes. Minting your own cryptocurrency for sure is insane. And I, I can say that full stop. Like if you are a nonprofit, that is. Like there are individuals who want to trade off the regulatory risks of creating what could eventually be deemed an unregistered security. And they're kind of small scale and building projects and they have nothing else going on in their life. And they just like go for it. And like, it's amazingly beneficial if you don't have like a gigantic legal team to make sure you like check every regulatory box, like keep up with it, like a Coinbase or whatever else it would be. But for the average person or a nonprofit, like it's really tough to do. And with NFTs, it's kind of the same thing. If you are actually generating your own thing, like a platform level, but if you wanted to partner with a platform that mints NFTs or partner with an artist to produce the art and launch those NFTs on behalf of your organization, but it's not like an account in your organization's name or something that you're creating directly from within. It's dramatically more safe and usually more beneficial just because you have those partners built into it anyway. That would just be the one thing I say in the same way that you partner with cryptocurrencies or accept their donations versus like creating your own cryptocurrency with NFTs, I would generally recommend do the same thing, partner with a platform, studio, an artist, find a conduit into that space versus try to do your own thing. You'll save a ton of time and then avoid potentially being caught up in a, a regulatory issue. Pat, you're saying all these words, my head's spinning because it feels like 
this is changing daily. And I feel like the regulatory, the law hasn't caught up with this new asset class. And like, we don't know what the rules are or what they're going to be tomorrow. So it, it sounds like your recommendation is if you do step into the space, start with just accepting cryptocurrency before thinking about getting into like minting or launching your own coin. Is that right? I would almost certainly under any circumstances say launching your own coin is patently insane is what I would say. Like if you're in the US, especially, it depends on areas, whatever else it is. We, and here's the thing, like we work with a, a million projects that are doing that, that do this thing. And like they have the legal team and they're going for it. All I'm saying is like, if I were the CEO of a nonprofit, like let's launch our own coin. Two issues on this. One is the taxable event to convert between cryptocurrencies. So I don't know what the utility is of most charity tokens, but like if someone has to convert out of their Bitcoin to get into your token to give to you so that you can have like this traceable. So there's a lot of reasons people create these things. Like they lose their tax incentives. So you like, you're creating a cryptocurrency, which takes a ton of time, which in most use cases destroys the tax incentives of your potential donors. And then you have to use that cryptocurrency in some unique way while also making sure you've covered and checked the legal boxes of not creating an unregistered secure. It just doesn't, there could be a use case, but it just seems like on paper to be almost impossible for that to be the case. And especially at a time where, you know, crawl, walk, run type mentality, it would be very similar to like, let's say you wanted to get into the internet. And I was just like, how about like opening social media accounts and like having a newsletter as a nonprofit? And they were like, we're going to build servers. Like we're going to figure out how to build servers and like create our own internal system. And we'll use those servers to like create our own version of AWS. And we're just like, but you don't have a Facebook is what I would say to taking crypto. Like there's a, a very easy right. thing you can do, which is just accept a new form of money. That's like incredibly lucrative and really effective right now. So just I guess don't overrun the base or I don't know a good, good sports analogy for it. Okay. So let's take it real basic. I'm listening mm -hmm. to you. I'm like, Pat, sounds awesome. Let's do this thing. Let's think about accepting crypto for our end of your campaign. We can go to the giving block. Are there any other outlets that, that help charities accept crypto? Definitely. So it's like the main calculation, like right now we have like your integrations and everything. We're probably like 90% market share just because it's early. So like eventually the business models will look different where you'll pretty much just want like a PayPal for crypto. Like we just want something to convert crypto when people send it to us, which is more similar to stocks and credit cards, more established stuff. The main thing that's different about us is like actively fundraising. So like even our passive type clients, like they're actively fundraising because we run like the largest crypto fundraising platform. Like we're just donors come through and just pick charities off of our, our platform and donate to run the crypto giving pledge for the high net worth folks the Tony Hawk, Rain Wilson, who's like Dwight from the office and FTX, the, the crypto exchange that just bought the Miami heat stadium. We run crypto giving Tuesday, the community campaign through the giving Tuesday foundation, which is like the main day of crypto giving bag season through the month of December. We run the corporate flag programs for the company. So in short, if you see crypto as like a donor demographic, and you're like trying to get in front of this, you're trying to drive crypto as an active revenue stream versus like sitting something on your site that can convert crypto easily for you, then you would use us. If you're not interested in like getting a jump on this, you're just gonna like set that up for whatever comes your way, like other traditional payment methods. Then there's like, I'm trying to think who are good ones for it. Depends on the solution. So like a BitPay or Coinbase Commerce, for instance, or just like Shopify's almost for taking crypto. The only thing I would say is just like our pitch, of course, as a company is like, this is a trend you would probably wanna get on top of. And our, of our first 40 clients, 35 came from similar platforms, but they, they were like equipped to take it, but they weren't like actively fundraising. 
Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. This is super interesting. I'm going to open it up for questions right now because I'm sure that there are lots of them. So Justin, there's a question coming in. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So thank you. I am, I'm a board member of a 501c3 nonprofit. And I mean, you hear horror stories all the time about what information people ask about cryptocurrency donations. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to know on the charity receiving side, besides being worried about filling out schedule B, is there anything we need to worry about collecting from donors when we receive donations in cryptocurrencies? Because I know on the giving block website, you can tick the donate anonymously, and then you can put Mm -hmm. in a pretty large amount, for example. Yeah, I guess, can you clarify your question? Like, are you saying, what are the protections against receiving like an anonymous payment from like an illicit source? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Like what requirements do we have as nonprofits have to have to do there? It's the same requirements as other platforms. I know people have different takes on it, but in the US in particular, it seems to be pretty point blank that like giving donors the option to not give their info to a nonprofit is very different than taking payments where the like the payment infrastructure itself is unaccountable. So like an example would be like if you buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks and you go to swipe your credit card and then like the Starbucks barista is like, hey, do you want to sign up for a Starbucks Savy card that like goes on, on your keys? And they're like, give us your phone number and your home address and everything else. Like that's not mandatory in that purchase, although that has nothing to do with the information collected by Visa when you swipe your card. Our form on our platform is the exact same way. So like the information that we collect in our widget has nothing to do with what the exchange requirements are and like their information collection. That could change, I guess, down the road if the regulations change. But still, wherever that person buys their crypto in and out, like they need a KYC, use a passport, use the exact same financial instruments that you would expect. And then on the exchange side, it's their job to like monitor transaction records in the way that like it wouldn't be up to the management and the people at a, a Starbucks to figure out like, is this credit card stolen? Like that would be a visa thing. So in short, like we do the same thing. We don't provide wallets per se, like that are off exchange. We use an institutional exchange partner on the back end that's subject to pretty much the exact same regulations as any other financial entity. The form that they're filling out for you is just for you. So it's up to you. It's one of those things where it's just like, you know, there could be unsavory individuals that you wouldn't want to take funds from or someone who's like the CEO of a company in an industry that you don't support. That has nothing to do with whether or not they've committed a crime or not. Like if someone does something illegal and then tries to send you money, like whatever information you collect in your form, unless you have like really good private investigators or whatever that work with a charity, like you're probably not going to figure that out better than like the FBI, the DEA and the exchange and their compliance team. And like, it's not like they use our form to do that information collection. So in short, or I guess on top of that, then you'd say, okay, what are the odds though, that like the exchange gets it wrong or like an illicit payment does come through? It's about 10 times lower than traditional payments. So there's a report, I'm sure I can pull it up and send to folks. But if you look up like what percentage of crypto transactions per capita are illicit, it's about 10 times lower than traditional finance because it is so much harder to like mess around with transaction records. So like if, if you're afraid, I guess, of potentially taking an illicit payment on crypto, then you would be like horrified to take a credit card. Yeah. To add on to that, Pat, I would say just from the nonprofit side, Justin, this probably falls under the rubric of your board gift acceptance policy. So I would definitely think about that. And so, because to me, the crypto is really just a vehicle for an exchange of value. What I think you're asking about is how do we make sure that we're accepting gifts that are in line with the mission of our nonprofit? Is that right? Yeah, I guess that was definitely part of it. I suppose it was maybe a bit of a broader question, sort of what information we need to collect for any type of donation, but maybe that's out of scope of this. (laughs) Yeah, I guess one 
point also, like whatever your gift acceptance policy are, the anonymous option on the giving block is optional for nonprofits to turn on or off. I know it's comforting that like the vast majority of all the big blue chips, I hope I'm getting this right. I think all of them do save the children, international, American Cancer Society, United Way worldwide, pretty much all of our big blue chippy nonprofits that are like exhausting to sign as they like review the payments process and the security protocols and everything. Like almost all of them have the anonymous option available, which is just comforting. But in short, if you're like, no, that's out of alignment with their gift acceptance, we always collect these bits of information from every donor, then we can just turn it off and you just make the form mandatory. That's pretty rare though. Yeah. Here's my question. So you've talked about kind of these blue charities taking crypto. Is there any charity out there that you would say is doing an exemplary job of driving crypto donations? Like, are there any exemplars we could look at and take a note from? Definitely. And because it is like a payment method and a donor demographic, like it's highly variable in the ways that they do that. It depends on like your budget, your energy, like low hanging fruit, the American Cancer Society looks very different than low hanging fruit, like a million dollar a year nonprofit, of course. What you have here is supposed to just like lightly plug stuff in. So like all those blue chips that I mentioned, United Way Worldwide, Save the Children, American Cancer Society, those three in particular have like a really comprehensive set of the low hanging fruit activated effectively. So like they usually have a brand around their crypto fundraising, they call it its own thing. They have uh, Crypto Giving Tuesday messaging on the big day with us. They'll use our templates and our marketing kits and pump stuff out. But they also will run ads like fundraising crypto that are like targeted and learning over time. They'll sprinkle stuff throughout their social, talking about the impact of their crypto donors throughout the year. Really kind of simple stuff without like a big blowout crypto fundraising strategy or like a really strategic attack on specific donors or companies. It's this just kind of throwing it out there and staying in tune and reporting on outcomes for crypto specifically. That's super light lift. It's an hour, an hour and a half of work, maybe to come up with like the basic plan and just implement it. They do a great job of that. And like, these are like generally speaking, you know, seven, eight figure programs for like larger nonprofits, very little work. If you're a very big nonprofit, it's again, such an easy thing to just plug in crypto and just explode an additional side revenue stream because your brand is so big, just say crypto and, and everyone will find the fact that you take it and X number convert. For smaller organizations, it does require more strategy, which we like work with them more hands-on with. A good example would be like orangutan outreach. That's an organization. I think last year they were a $500,000 a year budget. They, they might have been slightly below or slightly above. And then this year they've raised over a million in cryptocurrencies alone. So tripled their budget just with crypto. They've done that through engaging NFT communities, like through a personal interest that they had. And then Board API Club, which is an NFT community in particular, decided like they liked their cause and gave to them in the same way you would just throw stuff out and try to find donors and companies and folks to give. They just kept the drumbeat going. They engaged really effectively during end of year. They slowly built up a small crypto following through sprinkling posts. And then once they made that connection, they connected with us, help us coordinate like how this thing should work. And then they fundraise super effectively off of it. Again, it comes down to like how much time and energy you have to spend on it. But yeah, we, we have hundreds of nonprofits like our direct clients with like five and six figure programs. And the secret sauce for each of them is a little bit variable. All right, Pat, I'm a dollars and cents kind of girl, or maybe a, a crypto kind of girl. Can you tell us a little bit about what it costs to work with the giving blocks? It sounds like you're sort of the thousand pound gorilla in this space. We're trying to be. We have two main packages. Generally speaking, we have like a basic and a premium. Basic is like, take the headaches out of crypto for the most part. Look at it more as kind of like a donation method on the site, just like an integrated solution to fully automate accepting crypto, converting to USD, issuing tax receipts, stuff like that. 
and then be on our platform and our campaigns for the stuff that we run. So like you're not doing any of your own crypto stuff. You'll like engage on social as we pump stuff out. And that's $2,500 per year. And then we have premium, which is 5,000 per year. And that's for organizations that want to come up with their own strategy. And then it's the fees are, you know, usually somewhere between two and 3%. It can run up to 5%. It can go below that. It depends on the value we add. Generally speaking, we drive about 80% of donation volume to the clients that we have. So whereas a PayPal, obviously like PayPal doesn't get you in front of people with credit cards. It's like a weird kind of mix that we are between a payment processor and a fundraising firm. For every 10,000 we process from existing donors for our charities, we drive about $40,000 in new donations. So that's kind of the value prop for us. It's just like the best solution for taking crypto, the best value proposition around learning how the stuff works, learning how to fundraise effectively, building a brand, getting your feet set, taking advantage of the opportunity while it's happening right now, and then driving that additional revenue on top of everything else that we're working on. Like that's the pitch. And then if it goes well in the, the first year, people will stick with us. And if they didn't want to, we have super low vendor lock. So it's super easy to just leave and plug in one of those kind of free low percentage solutions to just process from an existing base. But since 2018, we have less than 1% churn. So only a handful of charities have ever ended up leaving and going to one of the free platforms. Pat, this has been super helpful, and especially for those of us who are new to this space. I have a question coming in from Brian. I think this will be our last question, then we'll call it a day. Brian. Sure. Hey, I'm in the Bay Area, and a lot of my significant donors are environmentalists. Mm -hmm. And I know like a thimbleful about cryptocurrency in the environment. Just as people are so enthusiastic about cryptocurrency, the people who are against it, they go right to this environmental thing and say, it pollutes more than XYZ. It's like accepting Philip Morris stock or mm -hmm. South African diamond mines or something. So any insight you can shed for me would be appreciated. A hundred percent. This is like, especially in the, the last week, it's becoming more of a thing. It's funny to me because prior to working the nonprofit space, I worked at a nonprofit before the Human Block, but I jumped out of the pharma industry to a nonprofit because I worked for pharma lobbyists right when the opioid crisis broke out, which was like not a good time to be, you know, supporting the pharma lobbyist movement. It was not fun. It was horrific. So part of that is pretty much like you see arguments from different trade associations that are like trying to hype certain aspects of it. So like pharma companies trying to blame doctors and hospitals, whatever else for like prescribing opioids or whatever it be. And then people trying to blame the manufacturers or the distributors and like all of these things because everyone's like making money in those value props. Most of the FUD that we call like fear, uncertainty and doubt around the environmental concerns appear to be, as far as we can tell, coming from the cryptocurrencies that use something called proof of stake versus proof of work, which is just more energy efficient. So there's like tons of money trying to create the, this concept that Bitcoin is bad for the environment. Is Bitcoin bad for the environment? Like based on the current rate to which human beings use renewables versus non-renewables and how energy intensive Bitcoin mining is. Like if it's just like in a vacuum, is this a good or a bad? It's like definitely bad. Like you would want it to be less energy intensive and you would want to move, even though the vast majority is already on renewables toward 100% renewables. It's not like it doesn't use a ton of energy. It's just a matter of like, what does it mean to interface with crypto? So when you say like a nonprofit shouldn't accept cryptocurrency because Bitcoin mining is energy intensive, it would be very similar to instead of being like, we're not going to take, like you said, stock from say BP. It would be like taking a step past that and being like, we won't accept donations from human beings who use gasoline. And then it's like, if you draw the line past like the actual saying, we're not going to partner with a Bitcoin mining farm to like anyone who interfaces with the tech is now not allowed to participate in our system. One, if you were an environmental nonprofit, 
that's uniquely silly because it's very simple math. How much energy did the Bitcoin transaction that we use to accept this money take? How much money do we have when they give us that money? And what do we use that money for? Is it ultimately a net positive or negative? Like, are we, if someone sends us $100,000 and uses that much energy, is our work offsetting that much energy or not? If the answer is no, then you probably shouldn't be a nonprofit, like based on like the average gift size of 11 grand, like you should almost certainly be more than enough to offset it. So the net positive is clear for them. And if you're a regular nonprofit, you're just environmentally concerned, then you just have to look at how much energy do Bitcoin transactions use? How much energy does traditional money use, right? Skyscrapers, a billion cars driving to an infinite number of buildings, running offices, middlemen, loans, air conditioning, and then the energy the actual transactions take, printing the papers and the tax software and all that stuff. And then if you can find a line between saying taking traditional money is still ethical, but like Bitcoin is not, I would say bravo. It's a pretty sophisticated level of calculus. But generally speaking, yes, it's just FUD. It's similar to like when a Tesla hits someone on a bicycle and they're like, we shouldn't make these. It's like, well, it's not a matter if a Tesla is or is not perfectly undangerous. It's whether or not the net benefits of the tech are better than, say, letting human beings drive sleepy and drunk and everything else. 10,000 driving hours, 10,000 driving hours, 100 years from now, which of these is worth implementing? If you look at Bitcoin over time, the transition to renewables, how much energy it uses, how quickly it's getting better, I think it's pretty point blank from my perspective that it's a, a net positive. And to be on the right side of history, you'd want to endorse a more effective financial system. I haven't seen anyone try to make that argument. Like When we try to run it, we're going to release a piece on it soon, where I think it's like super clear cut. It seems relatively arbitrary to say, if it weren't a type of money, it would be easier to say, like, we're not going to use... Like we're not going to buy jeans from one company versus the other because it doesn't have a value prop. But to say like nonprofits won't accept this tax incentivized money for their mission because of the energy used by the individual transactions, like to say that the money going into a nonprofit doesn't properly offset the negative, I think would be like mathematically almost impossible. It's very different to mine Bitcoin than it is to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment than it is to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment as a nonprofit. That seems just based on a per transaction basis to be pretty clear cut net positive. Where can we find, we find you? Just go to thegivingblock.com or follow at thegivingblock on social channels to learn more information. I would say definitely book a demo just so you could run through the product and just like hear about the stuff we're doing for end of year. And if you're going to look at it taking crypto because cryptocurrency market is up a ton, it's like hyper tax incentivized this year, which is... In short, like December will be like a really important month to take it if you're going to be taking it. So not a whole lot of time to sign up and set it up and plug it in. One other piece of context, it's about as if you can open a bank account, you can get set up to take crypto with us. That's the only hard part is you have to fill out all your information. Then the institutional account, we plug it into a widget. It's very simple. But I would say block off two weeks to get your web page set up and then copy and paste the widget on after like a week of getting it approved by an exchange. Just look at it now would be my recommendation. But again, it's totally fine to say no. We've got a hundred other things going on. I think we probably only make this much money and time and energy is better spent here. I would think that for a lot of folks, the answer would be yes, that it's it's important to take it now because it's so limited in terms of energy to get into it. But yeah, look at it now. Go to thegivenblock.com, book a demo and run through the products. And if you like it, sign up. And if you have more questions, let us know. Well, to quote Beyonce, if you, if you like it, you should put a ring on it, people. So. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, thank you so much. This has been super helpful. Go raise money, y'all, and maybe you'll raise some of it in crypto. Take care.